I'm Louise Goffin, and you're listening to Radio 8 Ball with Andros Jones. Radio 8 Ball, give us a shake. We're here in the studio, tempting fate. Wherever you are, putting questions to the songs that we have randomly selected. Radio 8 Ball. I'm your host, Andros Jones, and this is the show where we answer questions by picking songs at random and interpreting those randomly chosen songs as the answers to the questions, like picking musical tarot cards. This is Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening. The Appening. The Appening. The Appening. Where we are engaging the Pop Oracle via the Radio 8 Ball app, which is filled with every song recorded in the history of Radio 8 Ball as well as a couple of hundred of my own. I hope by now you've downloaded the Radio 8 Ball app. If you're an iPhone user, it's free and it allows you to play host and conduct your own musical divinations. So check it out. On last week's Radio 8 Ball episode, KP and Johnny Hawthorne asked, Would you like to read it, Johnny, for the Pop Oracle? Will Mick Jagger and Beck do a duet in 2020? I hope so. And they received this randomly chosen Louise Goffin song as their pop oracle answer. Everybody makes a dream this time of year. From now on, gonna be good for you. All your friends and family gather round in peace and harmony. It's a time to remember your blessings It's a time to remember your goals All the people in your life Be they new friends or old It could be the time of your life Everything's gonna work out It'll be okay in every way, making it better. It's New Year's Day. Usually, we endeavor to get the artist who performed last week's answer as this week's guest, which is obviously not always possible with busy artists like Louise Goffin. Eventually, we'll have her back. In her stead, we are lucky on this episode to feature Bart Davenport, who will be familiar to Radio 8 Ball listeners from his multiple appearances on our show, as well as his appearance on last week's episode in relation to his performance of Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now from our Joni Mitchell tribute episode. Last week, we talked all over the song, so now let's listen to his performance in its entirety. Should I just do the song or? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
bows and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air feathered canyons everywhere I looked at clouds that way but now they only block the sun they rain and snow on everyone so many things I could have done but clouds got in my way I looked at clouds from both sides now from up and down and still somehow it's clouds illusions I recall I really don't know clouds at all And Ferris wheels The dizzy dancing way you feel When every fairy tale comes real I looked at love that way But now it's just another show You leave them laughing when you go And if you care, don't let them know Don't give yourself away I've looked at love from both sides now From give and take and still somehow It's love's illusions I recall I really don't know love at all And fears and feeling proud To say I love you right out loud Dreams and schemes and circus clowns I looked at life that way But now friends are acting strange They shake their heads and they say I've changed Well something's lost but something's gained In living every day I've looked at life from both sides now From win and lose And still somehow It's life's illusions I recall I really don't know life Very nice <laughs> At all I really don't know Ah, there you go. We are recording our session with Bart on the eve of May Day and Beltane. This one-two punch of paganism and worker solidarity is the most rebellious of all the holidays. Beltane celebrates the connection between people and nature in its most ecstatic expression. May Day unites workers around the world in a struggle against the forces of wealth and intolerance that keep us down. This is a day of dancing and protest. And generally, well, fucking. 
This holiday is about fucking, from fucking shit up and fucking with the man, to fucking in the fields while nature fucks itself all around you, to, I suppose, getting fucked up and failing to do both. Who knows what manner of fuckery we're going to get up to in this episode. The last episode featured the worst kind of fuckery, which is me fucking things up. When I asked you to give us ratings and reviews on iTunes, I said we had zero. That was incorrect and untrue. Not necessarily a lie. Let me explain. We do have one review, and even though I believe it was honestly given, it comes from Tony, who mixed all of seasons one and two of the podcast, so I guess whenever I look at it, eh, I don't really count that one. Sorry, Tony. I appreciate it, but you're just making everyone else who's worked on the show look like jerks for not being as cool as you, so cut it out. Uh, Just kidding. Don't. Don't ever cut it out. Keep being cool. Uh, Anyway, uh, before we get into the show, once again, I'm going to ask you to do three things. One, as I said before, download the Radio 8 Ball app and play with it with friends, loved ones, or by yourself. It's full of some amazing music. And some of my own. Uh, Two, join our Patreon campaign. Just $1 a month gets you all the bonus episodes in Season 3, which means my questions. And that's like half the show. And joining lets me know this is a value to you. Not necessarily financial value, but real value, time value. And of course, I really appreciate the folks who have subscribed for more than $1 a month. Your abundance inspires me to be more generous. Thank you. And number three, ratings and reviews. Please, it's how people are going to find the show. And uh, without a network, this is uh, the most important thing you can do for us. Here's an idea. Uh, In in your review, tell a story about uh, synchronicity you had with the app or the the show. And if you do, I will, uh, I'll read it on the show. How about that? In preparing for this episode, I looked back into the Radio 8-Ball archives and came across a reading from May Day Beltane in 2009 featuring Robin Lynn. Robin Lynn was a practicing sexual healer, Tantrika Dakini at the time, a leader of workshops around ecstatic embodiment, and also a woman who I was in a long-term relationship with. Uh, I, you know, still in... A long-term relationship but not uh, not on the intimate level anymore. I'm telling you this because I think the context is important. Not only does this lusty and loving connection make it seem like a reading that may be of interest to us in a Beltane-y kind of way, but this is also a very early appearance of what would become the Radio 8 Ball app. You see, for many years, my websites always had an online oracle that would have 78 songs corresponding with the tarot deck that might come up as randomly chosen answers to questions users typed in. For this episode on Alternative Talk, 11.50am in Seattle in 2009 with Robin, I had a CD with eight songs from the online oracle that might be chosen at random by the guest. For some reason... The uh, CD players at the station did not have shuffle function, so we just had uh, our guests pick a number between one and eight. But uh, I just think it's 
kind of interesting that here we have Raman Lin, a sexual healer, who is playing a kind of midwife all those years ago to the version of the show as we know it today, which is a kind of, I don't know, erotic revolution, I suppose. Somehow that makes it seem like a perfect May Day offering from the Radio 8 Vault. So you work with the Body Electric School, but you have your own healing practice that's called the Present Sense. And we're going to be getting into that in future shows. But Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what the Present Sense is? Yeah. So I'm an integrative sexuality and intimacy coach. So most people come to see me um, to create some kind of transformation around their sexuality in their lives. They're wanting more intimacy in their relationships. They're wanting, um, I get a lot of women who are not orgasmic and want to become orgasmic. Women who want to learn how to ejaculate. Yes, women do ejaculate. Mm -hmm. Um, I also work with men who want to gain mastery and control over their ejaculation. So, And when they learn that, it creates a whole different experience for them and their partners. It sure does. (laughs) Anyway, um, that's great. Well, we'll, we'll get into it more. But in the context of all that, what is your question for the pop oracle? You didn't really think about that. I didn't. So my question for the Pop Oracle is, how will, 50 years from now, how will the ongoing sexual revolution impact the planet? 50 years from now, how will the ongoing sexual revolution affect the planet? Mm -hmm. And when you pick a number between one and eight, that is not one. Six. Song number six from Music from the Online Oracle, the answer to Robin Lynn's question 50 years from now, how will the sexual sexual revolution revolution affect the planet? Mm -hmm. Great. too close to 
happiness A kind that tells you to confess for two by candlelight If you keep thinking that something's gonna happen Then there's a greater chance it might And what's the name of that song, Leah? That song's called Soft Parts. And that was Leah Abramson recorded on the Radio 8 Ball Show on KAOS 89.3 FM uh, with the song Soft Parts. And that was the answer to Robin Lynn's question, 50 years from now, how will the sexual revolution affect the planet? Great, great <laughs> answer. Beautiful, beautiful, great answer. Uh, I think we both tearing up a little bit. Listen to that. Just really amazing. Um, so before I give you my interpretation, Robin, what did you think about that? that was... Well, the song definitely gave me the chills. Um, the work that I'm involved in is all about the soft parts, you know, in every way. It's all about um, really exposing our tender underbellies, both emotionally and, and physically. And there was that line, confess, I suggest that you confess everything. And it's, you know, it's like the embedded, hidden guilt, shame, and fear we have about who we are as beings and bodies, you know, that has us so twisted up. And so I just, I loved um, hearing those references in the song and the idea, if you think about it, it's going to happen. And so it's like, I keep envisioning a new culture being possible. And that envisioning is part of what's making it so. Yeah. No, that's, that's a lot of what I got. Um, you know, the, the only other part was, it was, there was, there's something really about, there's something about the resilience of the human spirit in mm -hmm. there. Um, the line, random acts of violence can't touch the soft parts underneath. And you think about how much, um, how much violence and sexuality have been wrapped up in our culture for so long and how much wounding. And you think that it's, you, there's a sense that you get that like on some level, there's the fear that maybe we are just irrevocably messed up. And there's something about that line that says that in our softness, we will become indestructible. And hmm. that those random acts of violence can't actually, you know, that whether they're in the present or in the past, that they can't actually touch the, the reality of our being. And there's something about that that just, um, it's like a possibility that I can't quite imagine but in the song, it it sort of creates that, like, what would that, you know, that person who to me now, to us now, 50 years from now, the kid who's being born this week mm -hmm. on this May Day, that that kid's kids, you know, how, what kind of superheroes will they look like <laughs> to us mm -hmm. because of because of their freedom, 
and this freedom that is that is won by the people who are doing the work that like you're talking about, that people like the people who are doing the body electric school. And listeners of the show will know that I you know, I, I endeavor to try and bring as much as possible people who are working in the fields of sexual healing, of um, you know, just sex positivity in a way that you know, we can put it in this context of health and spirituality and not sort of in this purely sort of entertainment or crass or like <laughs> kind of little schoolyard jokes. And it's because it's actually because of what you're asking, because I do think that an open dialogue about this and doing it in the daylight and in the sun and in the context of health and spirituality is really important because our, you know, our sexuality is as much of a part of our body as anything else. Mm, yeah. And now, before we get to Bart, as we always do, let's hear the pop oracle song of the day from April 30th, Beltane Eve of 2020. Polka dot 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 performing Left Behind as the answer to a question from Dr. Teresa Bullard on Radio 8 Ball on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM in Seattle on May 30th, 2008. I'll provide the link to the full reading in the show notes. I want to feel needed, but I need to be left alone. 
And here we are on April 30th, 2020, uh, the eve of Beltane and May Day, talking with Bart Davenport, pandemicking in Los Angeles, California. Hey, Bart. Hey there, Andros. Can't believe that after all these years, the, I, find, I have you on the show and you just mispronounced my name. Andros? I know, it's usually Andros. I just said Andros for some reason. I don't know. It's it's fun. Usually it's like it's so that was it's it was it was actually kind of cute. Like me. Yeah, kind of like you. Uh, so I gave a, I I, intru- I introduced you uh, in the intro so people know what's up with you a little bit. And of course, anyone who's followed the show knows that you're one of our favorites. As I ask everyone, uh, what are you doing? How are you pandemicking this season, particularly? Uh, you know, as we are on the eve of Beltane and May Day, and you are sort of a you know, quasi-hippie-raised kid from the Bay Area, so you may have some association with that, and, you know, with, even just peripherally. Uh, curious, you know, what's your, what's your pandemic situation this, do, this May Day? Do, do, you, do you feel like I would have a peripheral connection with, like, pagan celebrations and things? Is that like a thing you imagine about me? As a Bay Area kid who was like about my age in that era and just knowing you, yeah, I do. I, I think uh, I think whether or not your folks were organizers, I think you're, you're, I can see you being from a, a family that would be an invited to such events and then explain to a young Bart, oh, well, yeah, Beltane is about... <laughs> I feel like I have the vaguest memories of some things that sort of flirted with that a tiny bit or something, but no one explained to me what it is that people were doing. I don't know. I, f- I feel like that's, see, that's like a fantasy I have about like British hippie kids that they somehow had these sort of pagan festivals and, you know, stuff felt fun kind of old cultural things like that, that they, they knew about growing up or something. Especially if you grew up in like a small village in England or something, but in Berkeley, California, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I I don't really remember much in in the way of that that sort of thing. Um, not to my recollection. Well, then uh, yeah. shatter my illusions. That's that's quite. A, what about May Day though? How about May Day? Yeah, you know, Maypoles uh, protests. Berkeley, there must have been May. There, you know, there must be. The whole May Day protest thing in Berkeley. You know, I, I think it's one of those things where it, like a thing either grabs you or it doesn't. And I feel like I've just never paid attention to May Day. And, you know, and I really don't uh, have much association with it at all, other than the two words, that they rhyme. It's wild. I, I feel like it's the most rebellious, the most rock and roll of all holidays. Right. You know, because it's about workers' revolt and then pagan, as I say in the intro, it's a it's a holiday that's all about fucking. Well, I do I I do really like The Wicker Man, and I've watched it several <laughs> times. So my only real it's a very scary version of paganism. My picture when you say Maypole immediately is The Wicker Man. Oh man, that's so sad. But I mean, I mean, that's bad marketing for paganism. But uh, yeah, yeah. I've never found, I've never been burned. Do you feel like as a do you feel like as a northwesterner you're more pagan oriented? 
Like, I feel like that's a Northwest shit. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. See, you you think it's like some Marin County, California shit, but I think it's kind of some Northwest vibes. Paganism. I feel like the places that were epicenters for that cultural aesthetic. Yeah. It's like the it's like the Burning Man thing. It's like the New Age thing. Yeah. It's like all of these like these are at like the Northwest, Washington, Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, like that whole Cascadia thing, then like the Southwest, particularly like Sedona and all that stuff mm. that area. And then I really think of like the Bay Area and that around there as being all these as being sort of hubs. Also Cambridge, Massachusetts and you know, other places probably I don't know, Madison, Wisconsin. You know, the the counterculture that I was raised in most of all would have been the lesbian scene. Uh, and uh, I don't know, some of those ladies my mom was friends with back in those days in the 70s, like if maybe some of them were into some stuff like that and I just didn't really, I wasn't really aware of it, you know? Um, and then, uh, you know, my dad was into sort of like a quasi biker kind of trip and, and really into, uh, the sort of blues music thing. And a lot of the counterculture that was around too, that was sort of, we're in the shadow of in the seventies, the sort of sixties style counterculture. A lot of it was like the Black Panther party, um, you know, uh, people were still kind of um, talking about Patty Hearst and the SLA. Like, it was more kind of countercultural, political, quasi-revolutionary. There wasn't a lot of that, like, hippy-dippy sort of proto-New Age stuff around me. Although, I feel like you could, it was peripherally around, but I just didn't really come across a whole lot of that in my... I remember going to the Renaissance Fair once, mm -hmm. and like, the Renaissance Fair in the Bay Area was pretty... was was kind of that sort of thing you're talking about, you know? That sort of a West Coast version of, like, uh, paganism and whatnot, but, you know... But I feel like to me it was like going to Malcolm X grade school and, you know, having the teachers and staff of the school, some of them were like, you know, coming out of the civil rights movement and the Panthers and like that. That was kind of more, you know, and there was definitely the shadow of Mario Sabio and the free speech movement, um, which happened simultaneously to the civil rights movement. So I don't know, for me, Berkeley was very political. Um, and, you know, and then in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, you had the punks coming in, but the hippies were still kind of young enough to also sort of be out there uh, in the scene. So there was kind of this great moment in the sort of early 80s when there was, it was sort of a hippie slash punk town. But again, also it was a very political, like sort of, you know, there was sort of like people uh, spray painting like anarchy symbols everywhere and stuff. <laughs> I, don't know. I guess that's you know. why I was thinking that maybe that's you might have more of an association with the sort of the more of the workers' solidarity May Day thing than the 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 pagan right uh, May Day. Right, right. That would that 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 would make sense. Uh, 
I don't um, know. I think for me, too, I think as a kid, I paid attention to the stuff that I was interested in, and I had a uh, perhaps, like, too good an ability to sort of tune out or ignore things I wasn't interested in, like school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... So you, you you skillfully evaded my question. Uh, is there anything particular about the way that you are approaching this uh, situation of being quarantined and social distanced or however you are particularly choosing to pandemic that you, uh, you'd like to share with us? Something, a creative way that you've approached it or? Well, I feel challenged by it because I'm someone who has really thrived on collaboration you know I, I, I'm not a home studio guy and I, I've made almost all of my uh, you know six solo albums in studios with the whole you know kind of lineups and ensembles of musicians playing with me and stuff I, I did make one record at home the, the Maroon Cocoon album is like a home recorded record but even then it was like my buddy my roommate Sam Flax it was his tape machine uh, that we made that record on and we still drove to Sacramento to mix it somewhere else so you know it's like I just I've never been much of a home recording guy and um, I, I do tend to kind of write songs the old-fashioned way just kind of me with a pen and paper and acoustic guitar so um, uh, you know, and over the years, uh, I have made lots and lots of home recorded demos and even gotten really elaborate with them with like harmonies and keyboards and drum machines and, you know, and little hand clap overdubs. And I've made some fairly elaborate demos, but never with the intention of releasing that stuff. And now um, it's as the longer this goes on um uh, the more i'm considering how you know right now i'm trying pretty uh you know i'm trying at least every day to work a bit on trying to make a new album and the way i'm looking at it is that i'm trying to make my demos as good as i can possibly make them and try and fly in like other people's stems and stuff to involve other players on them. And the way I'm looking at it is I want to make the best demos I've ever made. And then, you know, maybe uh, if this pandemic and the sort of lockdown uh, doesn't last too long, then those will remain kind of demos and hopefully I'll, they'll be sort of demos for the next album. And then we'll make a record as, with, you know, with the band or whatever in a studio. But if uh, these sort of shelter-in-place restrictions um, end up going for a much longer time, then I'm sort of like, well, maybe I'm just making the album. And in this case, I'm making sort of a lo-fi home-recorded album for the first time uh, in, uh, ever, at least having me like haphazardly engineering it or, or whatever. Um, so it's an interesting thing. And I, I, I like that I'm not sure if it's the album or if it's just the demos, because that kind of relieves a little bit of the pressure, because if I was certain that this is the album, I feel like I would be, uh, I would be pretty nervous, because just because I, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm not a recording engineer, 
Um, but because I'm saying, well, maybe these are just demos that I, I feel like that's a good way to kind of approach it and just see how they turn out. But I'm, I'm definitely, uh, and I'm feeling really good about Bard and the Bedazzled because, uh, we all collaborated on one song together for this, uh, sort of COVID themed compilation for Burger Records and, and we, um, did it with each person in their own isolated home studio, uh, contributing different parts. Um, and so I'd like to maybe do more stuff uh, with Bard and the Bedazzled too, but I think what I'm working on, uh, I mean, we'll maybe do like, an, I'm hoping to do like an EP's worth of songs with them. And then I'd like to do like an entire album's worth of songs, kind of more as like a Bart Davenport album. Um, just kind of leaning in more towards my singer songwriter kind of thing. You know, so but I, I feel kind of at a loss because there's all these other people with like who've been so much more into that kind of home studio scene and are who are really capable, especially people, you know, with, a, you know, maybe a whole house and like, you know, they're able to set up drums in their home and stuff. And I'm just in this small apartment. So um I do feel kind of like a, a little bit envious or jealous of some of these other artists who who really could just be making an album right now, no doubt, you know? Well, first of all, I should just let listeners know, this one's going to go long because I, I happen to like listening to Bart talk, so I'm going to give him lots of opportunities and then just let him run. And and I'm going to do some digressions like this. I have to ask you, this is the kind of question that I love that comes up on my favorite sort of music or film podcasts, and you are perfectly equipped to answer this question, and it goes with what you're talking about. Could you mention a few, and not go, you don't have to go too deeply into them, although certainly educate us, but maybe pick two or three demos. You must have some, some artist for whom the demo of that song or the demos from that record are better to to you or records that started as demos and became the records or records that you know I think in my mind there's several that I'll say for I'll just come right out and say my fa probably my favorite record of all time is Pete Townsend's demos for Lifehouse which became Who's Next and a bunch of other songs I encountered that when I was a young kid. actually it reminds me in a lot of ways of, of your first record and it's one of the reasons I really really just was like so blown away by your first record it kind of reminded me of some of the of the uh, Townsend demos from the Lifehouse demos and I always you know I love Who's Next and I love all that but to me that's some of my favorite stuff in the world like my favorite, like, like, oh man, that's, you know, and I'm just curious, do you have some records that are like that? The demos of other things and you're like, this is the definitive version here. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm right there with you about Townsend's demos. I just think they're really inspirational. And I, and I got into Scoop and another Scoop really early and I was maybe probably like 17 or 18. And uh, those always stuck with me, hearing those kind of more raw versions of the songs or hearing him sing instead of Daltrey. And I just feel like all that stuff is so great. Um, and when you talk about artists who, whose demos are really great, I immediately start thinking of Pete Townsend. It's those, those demos are really, really nice. Uh, what about, uh, what was it? 
pure and easy? Oh. Is there a yeah, demo the, version that's of the, that? You just named it. That's the one to me. That ver the demo version of Pure and Easy is maybe my favorite track. Like if I had to pick one, so good. if I had to really whittle it down to one thing, I had to listen to over and over again. That's never disturbed me wrong. That's yeah. just it, that. Ugh, it's so good. It's so compressed. Mm. Yeah. 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 And it just—he really maps out his ideas, and you know, he's so. He's such a composer, you know? He's kind of like the Andrew Lloyd Webber of rock. <laughs> he's very dramatic, a very, he really sticks to the theme of the lyric, you know, he's, he's a lot of fun, you know? I, I, I think he's been a huge influence on me somehow, it's, but I, it's not something that people would really hear. Well, unless you were listening to the Townsend demos. A lot of the things that I think of as having been really influential, like a lot of the things like no one thinks I sound anything like Leonard Cohen, but I, I, I feel like he's maybe the number one thing. Like I just, when I think of his, uh, when I think of the things he achieves, I feel like I, he's like the number one inspiration. But it's just that, I then have really different musical ideas and maybe just different kind of feelings I reflect. So it just ends up being really different stuff from him. But I, I, uh, I think of him constantly and I draw from him constantly. I was just reading uh, some of his poetry today just to try to get in the mood to write a song. Anyway, but you were asking about demos. Right away when you talk about demos, I think of Carol King, uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday. So great to listen to her sing that, um, and I think Mickey Dolenz was a, was the best one of the best voices for for her songs. But uh, so great to hear uh, the demo of that where she kind of sings it with her own kind of spirit, and uh, I just I love that version. Um, and what I was thinking of another demo. Uh, it's now suddenly slipped my mind because I went off on that town. No, 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 that's... Well, while, you, while you're thinking about it, I want to say I didn't even... I was really not trying to go down this route, but I realized that one of my favorite demo albums is a, a tape is a tape I got of the Kinetics, your band, that you put together for me, you must have put together for me, that was just all of these demos that went along with it, like... You had came out with the five song EP. That's what most people heard. But there's a song called New York Girl Now and a song called Same Old, Same Old that were on these demos that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I went and saw you live last year and you had a house full of people and the audience that you played for that knew you live knew those songs. But other than that. OK, so first of all, Same Old, Same Old, New York Girl, two best kinetic songs. They're ever. fucking great. <laughs> in my opinion.
same old, same old. You don't understand it Day to day There ain't no change Just the same old, same old Same old, same old Now 
Davis, uh, I go to sleep. Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah, it's it was cover. It was done by Cher in the mid '60s, and then the Pretenders did it in the '80s. But there's Ray Davis's uh, uh, demo version. It's probably 1965 or so. I go to sleep, sleep, and imagine that you're there with me. You know that song? I don't know it. Wow. No, I will by the time. People are hearing this. <laughs> I don't know it tonight, but yeah, yeah, no, I don't know the song at all. Another great. What demo. it's called? I go to sleep. Yeah, I go to sleep. Ray Davis, and and the share the share version is great, but uh, when you hear Ray do the demo, it just you really get the feeling for the song. You know, it's the writer singing. It's same with Carol King. Like all her demos, they just sound like. They really have that certain kind of spunk that she had, you know. Well, that's kind of a perfect segue towards the next thing we're going to talk about before we get to your question for the Pop Oracle, which is uh, what did you make? Let's talk about. So you're here in uh, Louise Goffin's stead. She's you know she's a busy lady. We can't always get the the artist who was who performed the song as the answer. As we, as I let people know in the intro, you know, you play that great version of Both Sides Now. We had this great synchronicity with KP and Johnny and I all reminiscing about that. And obviously, I love any opportunity to have you on the, sh- on the show. And, you know, as people can probably hear, I, 
I enjoy your thinking. I enjoy your brain a lot. But you're here to we're here to kind of discuss that reading. Uh, we had the question from KP and Johnny about the collaborations via you know in this pandemic uh, between big celebrities and big stars that people you, people might that might not otherwise collaborate. And they mentioned Mick Jagger and Beck as an example of that. And then they got uh, Louise Goffin's New Year's Day as the answer. Do you have any sense of what that reading was telling us? Or just any, I don't know, insight you might share into the question, the, how that resonated for you? Any synchronicities that come up for you around any of that? Um, I just think it's a great song. And I think that it's uh, that's a that's a tough subject to try and tackle you know there's been a lot of new year's eve songs in the world um and probably a lot of them are not good and i feel i feel like she just struck this perfect balance of of uh i don't know it's one of the best new year's eve songs i've heard in quite a while um, it takes a lot of kind of stock imagery um, but it, it sort of sets it in a context uh, where we're both like celebrating and sort of subtly kind of mocking what New Year's Eve is simultaneously and uh, so it the song could have been done maybe by one artist with this sort of feel-good, full-blown sincerity, and it could have been done by another artist with this sort of bittersweet sense of irony. Like, we're talking about the, the sort of fantasy of what New Year's Eve is that's never actually going to happen. Um, or we're talking about the real thing, and you're going to do it, and if you do it, it's going to feel good because you know you love it. It's New Year's Eve. But I love the way she says it could be the time of your life because um, that doesn't that so does, doesn't force you into New Year's Eve. It's she's saying it could be. Maybe you ought to try it. It could be the time of your life, but it's not saying it will be. You see what I mean? So uh, I think she just really, you know, really daringly. Uh, and bravely straddles this line between a lot of stock images of what New Year's Eve is and kind of delivering it in this perfect package where you feel like, yeah, that that's the perfect New Year's Eve song or something. Um, so in reference to how it answers the question, um, you know, it's definitely said something, it could be the time of your life. So it's definitely like encouraging this collaboration to happen. Well, let, I, I kind of let's because I don't know. I think the the, the question right? is kind of whimsical and it's in its specificity. But I'd love to like go a little bit deeper because I think you you must have obviously some iconic associations with Mick Jagger and what what let's say let Mick if Mick Jagger is a tarot card, you have a sense of what that tarot card feels like. And if Beck is a tarot card, like you kind of have a sense, maybe you've had some personal experience. I mean, we I've had, he's of our generation. He's someone who we've probably had some peripheral experience experience of 
in our lives, maybe less so with Mick Jagger, although we've also been permeated with him our, our entire lives. So rather than talking about whether or not Mick Jagger and Beck will collaborate, because it'd be cool if they did, but what is that like if you imagine like putting together this element? What is Mick Jagger? If Mick Jagger is X and Beck is Y, what does X plus Y mean in this equation? You know, I have some ideas. I've had some time to think about it. So if you want me to get my ideas, I'll throw them out there. But I wanted to put the question to you first. Well, I think Mick is a monkey. <laughs> yeah. and, and and Beck is Beck is a koala. Mick is a monkey in a suit. And Mick is a Mick is a monkey. He's like a, a you know, like a, a, a sort of like the the monkey at the pulpit. And Beck is like a koala bear. And he's sort of up in the trees and looking a little bewildered. Um, but you know, he's pretty wise if you you know if you know if he has if you give him the floor to talk, you know, he'll say some interesting stuff. But it's sort of like putting a monkey and a koala bear together. Maybe they should do it. I just see like you. What you need is two more koala bears for the monkey to juggle. Right? You could just, you know, it's like a Mick Jagger. Who are like two other koala bears? Two others? Yeah, in music, like you know who I would think of. Like I, she's she's in music, but she's also in film. Like maybe Miranda July. Could be like another koala in the tree with Beck. I think she'd be. I think she'd feel comfortable there. <laughs> well, they're probably. They friends, must be. Yeah. Two, so that's so. why I think. Like, the, who's yeah. the third? Who would be a third koala? Uh. Do you want to be the third koala? You, you should. You want. You totally want to be the third koala, don't you? <laughs> I'm not a koala. Yeah, I'm not a koala either. I'm probably a monkey. No, no. I'm not even a. No, I'm monkey. a junior monkey. You're a junior. Okay, you're okay. Got it. So who's the, like maybe Feist? She's definitely a monkey. No, oh Feist is a monkey. I was thinking she could be a koala up there. No, okay, you think? Oh no. Okay. No, no. Leslie is a Leslie is a, Leslie is a monkey. Okay. For sure. Okay. I, hey, you know you have some experience. No, she's in the monkey clan. Yeah. <laughs> so who's yeah. who's who's our third koala? Because because our monkey because Mick huh? Jagger needs some needs because our monkey really needs to juggle three koalas for us to be a good show. I don't know. Like just put like Will okay. Oldham in there or something really? just to really yeah. screw it okay. up. <laughs> just so that every other songwriter <laughs> just really throw everything into so that a every weird other place. songwriter in the world <laughs> could be like, but come on, could I could? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. uh Okay, well, that was a wonderful digression. <laughs> the other, the other, the other thing I was thinking was that there's, there's, throughout all of this, there's just this weird and wonderful intergenerational thing because the last episode had so much Joni Mitchell and your version of both sides now, and then the answer comes up, Louise Goffin, and obviously there's a generational thing there, and then the song, the question is about a Mick Jagger who's of that generation, the Joni and Carol King generation, and Beck who's of the Yumi and Louise Goffin generation. And so there was just something about that that I thought was worth noting. Uh, so finally, one last thing before we get to our, our question. 
did you get a chance to give a listen to uh, Polka Dot Dot Dot's song Left Behind, which was the song of the day for today? Uh, Beltane Eve? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Did it strike any synchronicity with you on this day? It did not, but I did find it an interesting performance and an interesting uh, little tune. I feel like I loved the lyrics, um, but I did not love the style of delivery that they do. Like, to me, I would I would really like to hear a slower, more earnest performance of that same song. So I think that style where the singer kind of rushes through so many parts of the song seems like a whole kind of self-deprecating trip. Um, and I just, I wasn't immediately being able to relate to that, but maybe if I saw them do it live, I would totally get it. Or maybe if they were like friends of mine, I would get it, <laughs> you know? Um, but that being said, I also then flashed on maybe if this was in a Sondheim show and the character was like in a hurry, <laughs> then it would be... Then, then I would. Then it would be like it's right. Like you've got to rush through all these words. Well, you know, the song is called of... "Left Behind," so it's like it's it's interesting. Yeah. you get the yeah. sense of someone trying to keep up, like a little like yeah. like a younger I suddenly, sibling. I put it in a you know. I put it into a Sondheim show, and then I liked it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta. Re- so much of artificiation, you know, it, it like just being able to live in the world is find the, finding the right contextualization it, so that you can ap- it, appreciate it, right? Yeah, it's all context. Yeah, I just I decided to put her in a Sondheim show, and she was in a real hurry. Them, actually, it's uh, two uh, two artists, Onyx Dixon and Colleen Johnson, um, and uh, yeah, it's funny. I t- it they uh, I. I they remind me of some of the artists that you've hipped me to, who that you've brought to the show. Um, well, there's like that ukulele thing with like Bloody Death Skull. Yeah, if the, if you sort of put Miranda Zeiger and Bloody Death Skull and Kirilyn Kane all together and shook them all up, you might get, and maybe gave them some coffee, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you might get something approximating polka dot dot dot. Yeah. You know, just like very unique, decidedly mavericky sing- uh, women singer-songwriters of this particular generation. Um, I mean, like the best singer-songwriters of all time, you know, rigorously themselves and very engaged in the world, but, you know, very much like this is me. Like Miranda Zeiger is Miranda Zeiger. Carolyn Kane is Carolyn Kane. Uh, uh, Deanna Foyer is Deanna Foyer. Bloody Death Skull. They're like, there's no, there's no ounce of any of them. If you, if they're trying to be someone else, it, it's definitely them, you know? And I think, feel like Polka Dot 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 has that, that quality too. Also, Dream Date. I maybe Polka, yeah. a better con- connection to Polka Dot 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 is a Dream Date because you have two, two songwriters like that deciding to work collaboratively and having it be a, a good thing rather than sort of a competitive thing. I have a, I have this uh, real envy for artists who can't sound like anyone else ever 
that can only sound like themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I've been able to be in cover bands and do stuff where I'm kind of imitating other people. And I, and I feel like I've been able to uh, take influences of mine and kind of um, borrow ideas from them so accurately that sometimes my stuff just really does sound like another artist that I'm into. Um, and, you know, I found that some of my very favorite people I've run across are just folks who, is, you know, just don't seem to have it within them to imitate others in, it, in, in with any accuracy. And so they just are stuck being themselves. And then what they do is so totally unique and one of a kind that they stand alone. And then I never forget them. And then I always think of them and I am drawn to them. And, and I think it's a really important quality uh, for an artist and um, it's one that I feel like I don't have enough of personally that being said uh, being able to make money at weddings you know sounding a lot like the original version of the song is uh, you know something that you know not is not something to, to feel sh totally shitty about but um, and I would also yeah. as, as someone who's followed you as a songwriter and as a you know leader of multiple bands or the leads the front man of multiple bands uh i can say yeah, that you that just, you found a way to when you're like to do other people like yeah in a way that is always just, bart it, and so there's a there's it's a quality i really envy I, I i just i i see those people's body of work as so singular and i see mine as kind of scattered you know um and and yet you know it's it's not like I'm gonna lose sleep over it, but it's just it's it's a difference between no, me and I, some other people. You're not that a I, that I you're not, that, <laughs> you're not you. I get it. Well now, you see, could now be Mick you is, could be you know, a koala. Mick, you could play a koala for a little bit. Like you could be but, you have koala like you have some koala like qualities. But Mick is totally incapable of being anyone other than Mick. And that's the beauty of it. it was, I don't, but he's, he's trying, yeah, he's he trying, trying to be to some, do, the other people. Yeah. He's, he was trying to be Jimmy Reed, you know, he, he was trying to be, uh, 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 Don Covey. He was trying to be Muddy Waters and then he had to be Mick. So when he tries to do those guys, he just comes out as Mick. And that's, that's the, actually the beauty of, of his, his thing. And, and Beck actually, has on several occasions at least in recording productions been able to really pull off some great homages to other artists where his record sounds exactly like theirs there's in particular there's a Serge Gansborg thing that he ripped off brilliantly um so uh yeah I think that uh that yeah you know, he's definitely someone who is very stealth at borrowing stuff and, and in a in a sly sort of subtle way too um, so I don't know if that's a monkey quality or a koala quality. <laughs> so I don't think it's either <laughs> monkey. So I, mean, I, just I think the, I think the, your, your monkeyness is more to do with your personality and your vibe than maybe your originality. Well, let's just say <laughs> for the sake of people trying to follow along, if you're sort of mathematically inclined, the, the equation we have now going is monkey plus koala equals Louise Goffin's New Year's Day. Make of it what you will. 
uh, I would love to hear the version of uh, New Year's Day performed, sung by Mick Jagger, backed by Beck, and oh, and Miranda July and Will Oldham. <laughs> and Will Oldham. I think yes, that's... I think they do a great version of the song, and you know they they would you know they would at least listen to it. And consider it. Oh come on, New you know, I want to wake up to New Year's Day twenty one twenty one, with a different president, and that to that that to look forward to. And I want it to happen because of this. And then I want Louise Goffin to say thank you. <laughs> anyway, also, see now here's the funny part. Mick would actually be the one singing it with the most sense of irony. See, he would be he would turn it into kind of like a, a feel-good song, but that he would have be winking at you the whole time while yeah. he sings those words. Whereas then Beck would like buckle down and just sing it yeah. very straight, very straight and very heartfelt and just try to be like, yeah, you know what, New Year's Eve, each year we celebrate, you know, the you know the turning of the new year and it's and it's it's a it's a benchmark and it's a milestone and it's a thing that we uh that you know like it's a ritual you know and he's coming from that scientology culture of rituals and stuff right yeah i mean i guess i so, didn't even know that was a scientology i thought that was more of a pagan thing but sure well, he was raised in Scientology. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you I hear what you're saying. Well, you know, and and so then Miranda July would sort of sit there and document it, probably write a short story about it afterwards. Yeah, and Will Oldham yeah. could could strum along in the background. But he could probably play bass. Yeah, him on bass. Maybe I bet Miranda July can play drums. I'm sure she can play drums. Like I, I feel I have some vague. Ma no, I don't think she actually did it, but it. Yeah, she was such a part of that music thing in Olympia in mm. the 90s uh, that I'm sure she, I'm just sure of it. Anyway, uh, okay, well, that was, an, that was a great digression and the polka dot dot dots song left behind in that whole reading. And uh, so now, uh, now we get to uh, the, the really, the fun part for you, Bart, if it's fun. I hope it is. Um, for you to ask your question to the Pop Oracle. Do you have the Radio 8-Ball app at the ready? Yeah. Okay, and what is your question for the Pop Oracle, Bart Davenport? The question is, am I doing it right? <laughs> well, what's, uh, like, give it, let's give it a shake. What, are you doing it right? Let's see. Okay, I'm going to give it a shake right now. And the answer is Turning Point by Velvet Starling. Oh, yes! It's playing now. One, two, three... Sun's moved on. The harmony 
busy dreaming We miss the Starlings with Turning Point, recorded on March 23rd, 2019, when they were on Radio 8 Ball, recorded at Starburns Industries in Burbank, California. And that was the answer to Bart's question, Am I doing it right? What did you make of that as the answer to your question? I could hear, first of all, the audience will not have heard, but throughout that song, you were just being, you were kind of being blown away by the song. I, I, you were having a visceral reaction to it. So uh, do you want to share your response to the song and maybe how you think it answers your question? I think it says yes, um, because it's stating that, um, you know, if someone's at a turning point and there's no turning back, then there is no right or wrong way. There's just the one way you're going and that's how it is. Yeah. Uh, there, I want to throw out a few interesting synchronicities, I think. One is that this, we spent a bunch, like the last two episodes diving into the Joni Mitchell episode, which we recorded on March 22nd, 2018. This one was recorded on March 23rd, 2019. So there's a sort of, uh, I know they're both Equinox shows. 
And also Velvet Starlings are a very, a, a, they're in high school. They're all high school age, except the drummer. He's older. Isn't that always the way? But they're all, Christian Gisborne, who's the main uh, songwriter, performer, plays all, plays all the instruments on the recordings and everything. He's like 17 years old, I guess. And they're from the Bay Area. Not wow. Actually, they're from Chico. And so you also were part of an incredibly young, you know, impossibly young and talented band from that region with the with the loved ones. So I think there's maybe some sort of a maybe some kind of kinship similarity, like, again, sort of like the, you know, the Jagger and Beck thing wouldn't be probably the age differences are about the same. Well, they they sound like a they have like some garage sort of back from the grave garage rock influences is, and would I be right in oh, guessing yeah. that? It's funny when I went back to look at this on the web, I realized that we started that episode yeah. talking about the Lifehouse demos and about Pete Townsend. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Well, and 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 that of course I was into a lot of that stuff, but Pebbles uh back from the grave nuggets all that stuff when i when i was coming up as a teenager but um i was never writing any songs that good back then that's like that's like a really solid classic song (laughs) but you would sort of expect some teenagers to be able to make music uh sort of aesthetically like that um and so that isn't a surprise that it's a teenage band but what i'm surprised by is the lyrical this, yeah. how solidly how how what a solid foundation that the lyrics to that song have uh and you know simple straightforward but and you know like a teeny bit cliched but just in the best possible way yeah um yeah. i just i i just i, I would that's one of those kinds of songs i wish i wrote it yeah yeah no it was uh they're they're great i'm super excited to invite christian I, I'm realizing that for me, the game show of this is that as I'm waiting for the answer to be chosen, you're choosing who's going to be the guest or at least who I'm going to try and get as the guest for the next show. And uh, Christian is one of those guys who's just, uh, he's fun to talk to. He's really, you know, he, like yourself, but with many less years to have accrued it, he has a really, really deep uh, knowledge of a lot of the music that I think that we sort of we know pretty well. But figure that even in, in in our own generation, it's rare that we find someone who could actually talk about it. So that's going to be really mm. fun. Plus, he's also young, so there's always I'm, I'm going to always going to have some new thing I could. Uh, hey, you haven't seen or heard this? Oh, you got to check out blah blah blah, and that's fun too. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so. I want to get back to your question though. So am I doing it right? What is, uh, you want to give us a little bit of, I mean, I like it because it's a real open-ended question. I think we can all relate to, and I'm going to go back and listen to it from that standpoint of like what it means to me personally, but I'm kind of curious if you wouldn't mind, you know, letting the audience in a little bit and like, where are the areas where you're questioning whether and where you're doing it right? I mean, I think we're all wondering that, you know, Am I gonna am I am I gonna get this right? You know, it's sort of like a life is just this 
endless sequence of scenes where you are trying to see if if you made the right choices. And and I think that people make wrong choices pretty consistently as well. But then if you sort of believe in like these sort of theories that everything is the way it always was going to be, then there is really no wrong <laughs> choice because it's just what you were bound to do or something I don't know I think I think there's I, th I think I'm someone who second guesses themselves a lot are there areas where you feel like really like maybe you have a sense like oh I, there are there's areas where I'm over I'm overconfident and there's overplay areas where I'm overcritical I definitely feel like there's areas in my life where I'm both like I wish I could mm, be a little yeah. less confident in these areas and a little more confident in these areas I would do a lot if I could just like balance it like i'm working on a west world character you know it's like okay i just tune up this and tune down that this character would move so much more easily through the world with just a couple of tweaks but that's what i mean i mean is if i could just crack the code of like how to do it the right way then i don't know i might be living my best life or whatever and I feel like I'm always a little bit lost as to whether I'm doing it right. I've been told I'm doing it wrong occasionally, and it's not fun to hear from anyone, especially if you don't respect that person's opinion. <laughs> well, yeah, that's my, I, I feel like <laughs> I have, I've definitely developed a sense of, you know, there, you ever you have this like the, there's rules that you've developed for yourself, but you haven't informed the world, but you still judge the everyone as if you've published your rules, and everyone knows them. And one of them is unsolicited ad advice. And it's like if you come up and are like, "Oh, you know what you should do?" It's like, hmm, "Am I going to have to explain my boundaries around this to you?" That like. No, like, no, I actually like, unless we can have you like, I can get your credentials in some way or whatever. No, I actually I would consider it a kind of abuse if I if you just come up and give me your advice. I, uh, you know, and that that really that kills a comp. That's a, a vibe killer. <laughs> but but I feel like that. Do you, do you have like do you must do you have some have you developed any rules in, in your life that are like that? You're like, oh, no, someone does this. I, you know, they should have got the message. Like, to me, <laughs> it's, know. it's, uh, it is unsolicited advice. I got, like, Bart, I'll tell you, you have, you're one of those people, you know, we've talked, I, you're one of those people who I, I, I consider you someone who's, I, someone I go to for advice about things, uh, on certain subjects. And those people are like tremendously valuable. And, uh, the opposite is, is, is just the, is, is what's the opposite of value? I don't know. I actually Armful. have a self-help. I actually have a self-help guru in uh, John Erickson, the bass player of the Kinetics. Really? Oh yeah. I can see. I mean, I he he does shine like a guru. I can see that. Yeah. Oh yeah. He he he'll tell you what you need to do, and he's always right. Huh. Or if, or if once in a once in a blue moon once like. 
once out of like a hundred times maybe he's wrong but then that's just cute that he got it wrong wait a second you know and we because <laughs> he's usually right okay but we can leave it there but i'm just gonna say didn't you tell me some story about a record deal and the whole thing we're gonna we can cut this out but didn't there didn't something go south there wasn't he was he on the was he on the side of like the we can cut it out this is not for publishing but just because i need to know what well no that you know um he didn't uh you know he didn't really become he didn't really become my my self-help guru until after the kinetics broke up until so after he helped tank the band it's not <laughs> yeah he didn't really have that of uh, the sage-like ability to you know see into the future and know oh my God, what I path to send I me love on. It. No, he didn't have that yet. That's honestly, that's how the movie Goldberg should have gone. <laughs> Is that the guy should have become that the Goldberg character should have become the the self help guru of the other guy who was regretting it. I love that. You know what? I'm going to send this to you. you yeah. We may you if you if you're happy with it, we might like you're. I'll leave it in. I'll take it out or whatever. Anyway. Uh, John John will like sit down John will sit down at a party with someone he's really never met or maybe he's known them from around but he hasn't gotten to know them really and he will sit down and chat with them for 15 minutes and he will get them to tell him all about themselves you know that you know in that 15 minutes he's going to learn He's going to ask a series of questions of, of, and from and this person is going to uh, reveal a lot about who they are and where they're going and where they're kind of lost. And then he is going to like somehow like his, you know, flip on his little algorithms in his brain and spit out an answer. And he, he is like, you know, he, he's sort of like the eight ball. He's just going to spit out an answer. And he's like, you know what you need to do? And, and you know nine times out of ten it's like amazing advice like he's pieced together from from just what they've said about themselves in 15 minutes he's pieced together this whole plan for them and uh it you know a lot of the time the people end up doing this stuff and thanking him later well that's that's a that's a hot that's that's a big endorsement I want to go back to the song for one second here, though, because I was thinking there's two ideas about the the question. So the, the you know on the very on the very uh, on the very surface turning point. Am I am I doing the right thing? Turning point suggests a sense of urgency and a, not a sense of but like a sense of like ev like now like the very sort of a psychedelic revolutionary cry. Like now is the turning point. Love, love, love. Now is the like. How do you approach every moment? Um, there were a couple of, you know, a little things. One, it says, so the, uh, there's one line that I, you know, it has this great sort of uh, melodic hook to it. It's so busy dreaming that we miss the alarm. And I don't know if I'll see your face again. It's a turning point of love. But that so busy dreaming that we miss the alarm, I think is sort of like the song's counterpoint to that. Like the part of ourselves that takes us out of the recognition that mm -hmm. every moment is the moment whether we're how that determines how if we're doing it right or wrong yeah which is actually this kind of this really goes to uh, what i'm going to be talking about 
in my question, if you are, you know, if you'll stick around till the, to the, into the bonus section, we'll, where behind the Patreon wall where listeners can pay $1 a month and get all the bonus content. It's not really about getting your money, folks, but it is about, uh, you know, just seeing if you're out there and, uh, you know, uh, finding a way to talk to you off of Facebook. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but uh, my question's going to get into to a lot of this as well. And I, I'm sure we're going to unpack this. I really hope we're going to get to unpack this with Christian Gisborne in our next episode. But before we head behind the very thin veil, which is the Patreon paywall, $1 a month, really, that's all it is. Is there anything, Bart, that you want to... Well, we're going to go out by playing this collaboration you did with Bart and the Bedazzled, which is called... Oh, the song is called People Person. Yeah, the song is called People Person. And it's great. And is there... This is going to come out on Sunday, May 3rd. You have any online concerts coming up? I've been seeing you've done a, a few kind of got a few hip gigs in the in the online sphere over the last month or so. I I'm going to be performing a little mini set on Tuesday, May fifth, uh, hosted by Max and Nikki Weinbach. And if I uh, I, I can put the link in the show notes. So people who are listening to yeah, this. Yeah, if you look for Max and looking for Max and Nikki Weinbach's uh, Instagram or their, or you know wherever their their social media is, uh, they'll probably have links to however they're broadcasting it. Um, but it's going to be a, a webcasted live performance via Skype, and it's uh, Max and Nikki Weinbach. They are the younger brothers of Brent Weinbach, the comedian. Ah, and. And Laura Weinbach, um, the lead singer of Foxtails Brigade. It's a whole musical family. And you, you kind of, you kind of hit something there. The... I mean, Brent Weinbach was also the star of a music video that uh, you were involved in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it? So I'm a big fan of the. What was the? I'm a big fan of the whole Weinbach family. And uh, what was the music video it, uh, that he was in of yours? Fuck fame. Fuck fame. Yes, that's why I had a hard time remembering the title because it's so damn memorable. It's so it's like so it's like so bright you have to hide your eyes. It's so memorable you can't remember yeah. it. Yeah. You know I, I I shared a really weird evening with Brent uh, when I I was working at a bar in Seattle, a bar and Chinese takeout place called the Lucky Eight China House. And he came in and he loved our dumplings. And we started talking. It turns out we knew people in L.A. I don't even know if, you, if you or your name came up. He was doing comedy down the street. And, uh, but it was like, it seemed like just a couple weeks later that he showed up in your video. And I thought, oh, Synchronicities oh, well. with Bart Davenport once again. Behind the scenes, fame, fuck fame. I can live without it, but we can talk about money. So Max and Nikki are twins, identical twins, and they sing harmony together like the Everly Brothers, 
or maybe Simon and Garfunkel. And um, uh, they're they're adorable and and they're they're very musical and uh, uh, I enjoy everything they put together. So it'll it'll be fun to be part of their webcast. Um, I'm still waiting for the Weinbach family album where because Brent is actually a great keyboardist and singer himself and he writes little songs um, very much in kind of this like uh, uh, easy listening soft rock kind of style maybe, maybe even a little bit influenced by me <laughs> um, and but and then Laura is just like really out there she does a lot of like really kind of almost progressive um, class almost maybe classical inspired stuff um, and her, her her music's really sophisticated but also has a, some of that quirkiness of uh, maybe like bloody desco kind of um, so yeah I, th I feel like the four of them need to make an album I think that would be I know it would be the thing I, I think I'd be more excited about the release of something like that than just about anything more excited than uh, Beck and Jagger the Weinbach Quartet yeah just the Weinbach family I was thinking because Bach and quartets and like I don't know it's, it's they're they're kind of like a they're sort of like a uh, like a Wes Anderson movie that hasn't happened yet. It's just the wine box, right? They're kind of unique, you know. They they have this uh, uh, their Filipino and Jewish ancestry, you know. So there, what's uh, it's what, like? Uh, what's his? Uh, is it Epstein? Yeah, from the horse from the sweat hogs. That was he was that was his thing. He was. Well, it's not, you know, I'm sorry. I'm 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 aligning things that are not the same. He was Jewish and Puerto Rican and that was his thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you could work out some sweat hog Epstein. Yeah, probably not. Probably it's just rife with racial stereotypes in the 70s that we should all just avoid. Um, and they should just be whatever the fuck they want to be, <laughs> but <laughs> I look forward to I would yeah, I'm I'm going to I'll I look forward to tuning in on Tuesday, Tuesday May 5th. And I will put all the, you know, put all the, the appropriate links in here. Thank you for giving your attention and intention to this episode of Radio 8 Ball Season 3, The Appening, with our guest, Bart Davenport. Remember, if you like the show, please help other people find us by rating and reviewing Radio 8 Ball positively. If you tell your synchronicity story, I'll read it on the show. Also, I encourage you to download our Radio 8 Ball app from the iTunes App Store. It's free. It's fun. It's yours. Enjoy it. And finally, I do hope you will join our Patreon campaign and follow us backstage for my Pop Oracle reading. It was a pretty groovy time, and the link is in the show notes. We're going to close out our episode with the latest single from Bart and the Bedazzled, a song called People Person that I'm pretty sure you're going to love. I dig it a lot. And with that, I'm out. Until next time, I'm your host, Andras Jones, wishing you lots of spine-tingling synchronicities, connections with the natural world, and all the inspiration you can handle.
Today 